0: So Jesus emptied himself and Jesus became a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself.
1: Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire.
0: is that God didn't just send an angel to reach us, nor did he send a normal man. No, God became a man, and that's the miracle of Christmas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Life Talk. I'm Jeff Wickwire, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're continuing the series, Our King Has Come, with a look at the incredible miracle of God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, so many people get it wrong with what Christianity is all about. We envision Jesus as just a good man who wandered from town to town, saying nice, loving things to people, a real man of peace. But in actuality, the Bible tells us that he was Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wrapped in skin, and became one of us. God became a man. Could that really be true? How could such a thing happen? Well, we're about to find out in our Christmas message entitled, God Became a Man. So let's go right to the message. He humbled himself and went all the way to the cross and allowed his own creation to crucify him. Incomprehensible, unfathomable. We cannot wrap our minds around it. Jesus, who was God, became a man to save us. I read a true story. Dr. John Rosen, a psychiatrist in New York City, is well known for his work with catatonic schizophrenics. And if you know anything about schizophrenia, there's four kinds, and catatonic is the worst. You're essentially, as the word says, you're you're catatonic, you're really gone. And he works with catatonic schizophrenics. And normally doctors that work with that type of schizophrenia, they really don't spend any unnecessary time with their patients they don't have to because they're very difficult. But Dr. Rosen is different. I read, he literally moved into the ward with them. He placed his bed among their beds. He lives the life that they must live day to day. He shares their pain. If they don't talk, he doesn't talk either. It's as if he understands what is happening in their troubled minds, and his being there, being with them, communicates something that they haven't experienced in years. Somebody understands me. But then he does something else. The article went on to say, he puts his arms around them and he hugs them. He holds these unattractive, unlovable, sometimes even incontinent people, and loves them back into life. And often the very first words they ever say to him are, thank you for becoming like me. This is what Jesus did. He came to our world. He came to our neighborhood. He came to your house. He came to you. He came to me. He lived amongst us, not above us as a superior, not below us as an inferior, but beside us as one like us. And he hugged us. He hugged us as he taught us about God and life and heaven and hell and truth and falsehood about ourselves and our lostness. He came to our life. No matter how dirty we were and weren't you dirty and wasn't I, how repugnant our sin, how black our hearts, no matter how hopeless our condition, Jesus stepped in and embraced us. I've often thought the cross is interesting because it's like this, and I see it this way. He has his arms open in a ready embrace. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn to me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. All this was made possible by the greatest miracle in all the world that has ever rocked our planet, and that is the incarnation. Now, let me tell you what incarnation literally means. God became a man. When you say incarnation, God incarnate, you're saying God in flesh. God became a man. God became a human being. How could this be? I don't know, but it did happen. Now, when you look at the incarnation, you see three things in the verses we read. Let me share them with you. Here they are. Three things Jesus did in the incarnation. The first thing, he made himself of no reputation. When he incarnated, when he came to be one of us, he made himself, the Bible says, he emptied himself or stripped himself of his glory by having taken on himself the form of a slave and having been made or born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Even though God the Son was equal with God the Father... Rather than exalting himself, he chose to make himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He divested himself of what he had in glory and came to be one of us. To make himself of no reputation means that Jesus deprived himself of the glories and the graces he deserved as being God. He emptied himself rather than being full of himself. Think about some of the ways that the Son of God deprived himself of what he had when he became a man. I thought of four. He submitted himself to hunger and thirst. You know, that we, he never knew hunger and thirst in glory. But on the cross, he said, I thirst. He submitted himself to hunger and thirst. In the wilderness, he fasted. It says being hungry. In heaven, Jesus never experienced hunger and never thirst. But he divested himself of that perfection and came to be one of us. Second, he submitted himself to weariness and exhaustion. He never knew what it meant to be tired or weary in heaven. But it says that the woman of the well, the reason he was at the well, of course, he knew exactly what he was doing and who he was going to reach. But it says, being weary, he sat at the well. The Son of God felt weariness, felt tiredness, but in heaven he never had that. He was never tired in heaven, never weary, but he gave up a, a, an existence of total, unending, perfect strength to become one of us. He submitted himself to pain and suffering. He knew no pain in heaven, but here he did. Oh, on earth he did. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. And on the cross and before the cross, he suffered unimaginable pain. We will never know. He submitted himself to pain and to suffering. And this was his own will, his own decision, his own choice to do it. This is what Jesus did. He never heard in heaven. And I got good news for you. In heaven, there's no more pain. It says in Revelations that God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain. And let me add a few things. No more heartache, no more cancer, no more headaches, no more arthritis, no more insomnia, none of that. It's all gone. It's all taken away in heaven. God will wipe away every tear. What a day that will be. We will never cry again, never weep again, never hurt again, never suffer again, never experience any disease again in heaven. And then the last thing I noticed, he submitted himself to many of the limitations of human understanding. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom, but in heaven he possessed perfect wisdom and all knowledge. But when he wrapped himself in skin and became a human being, he had to grow in wisdom. It's hard to understand, apart from love, why Jesus would deny himself such privileges. How do you explain it? You can't, apart from love. God so loved. He so loved us. He loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And because he did, let me give you some good news. We have a high priest in heaven who understands all of our needs. Listen to Hebrews 4. We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What it's telling us is when you and I experience temptation, Jesus says, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I just didn't sin. I know what it feels like. So he's able to empathize and sympathize and step into our struggle and step into our pain and step into that craving that we have towards something that is wrong and say, I'm here to help you because I've been there. I was a human being like you. So Jesus emptied himself and became a man. Second thing he did, he took on the form of a servant. This blows me away. He took on the form. Remember when we started this series, I read verse 6. It says, and being in the form of God, which means he was the essence of God. He was in the form of God before he came. But now we read that when he came, he took on the form of a servant, another form, the form of a servant. He took the form, the essence of a servant. If you want to know what servanthood looks like, the essence of it is found in Jesus Christ. He who was Lord of all became servant of all. Listen to this. The sovereign God became a servant man so he could be our Savior, supreme. He's a servant. The Bible tells us that one night Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It says Jesus knew on the evening of Passover day that it would be his last night on earth before returning to his Father. And during supper, the devil had already suggested to Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that this was the night to carry out his plan to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And then John inserts this, and how he loved his disciples. So he got up from the supper table, God wrapped in flesh, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his loins, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he had around him. He's the one that said, let there be and the stars appeared in the universe. And now God is bowing down to his creation and washing their feet. And he said, as I have done, I want you to do. If Jesus can be a servant like that, can't we? Can't we? The washing of the disciples' feet was a symbol of the sacrificial death that he would die, and it was also a revelation of his heart, of his essence. He took the form. As much as he was God, the form of God, he took the form of a servant. He was God, yet he chose to lay aside the garments of his deity that he might take upon himself the garments of a servant. And he served. Doesn't he still serve us? I thought about this. I said it in the first service without having pre-thought it. It occurred to me. He still serves. When was the last time you said, Lord, you know, I really need a job or I really need provision or I really need your peace? And you know what he did? He served you and gave it to you. When he answers a prayer, isn't that servanthood? Isn't that Jesus? He doesn't have to answer our prayer, but he does. He's still serving us. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are told He will serve us there. And what a supper that's going to be. That's going to beat your Christmas dinner all over the place. Because that Jesus is going to gird Himself and serve us at that table. That table is coming. So Jesus emptied Himself. And Jesus became a servant. And then the third thing it says about the incarnation is this. He was made in the likeness of men. Here we go. He was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now, the word fashion means this. Everything about a person's outer appearance, his figure, air, looks, clothing, gait, the way a person carries themselves, that's what fashion means in this context. And it's telling us that in all those ways, he became like us, a human being. In every way a human being is a human being, yet without sin, he was a human being. His faction was as a human being. We can't imagine what it meant for him to lay aside his garments of glory in order to be clothed with humanity. It'd be like laying aside a full wardrobe purchased at Neiman Marcus, otherwise known as Needless Markup, (laughs) in order to wear throwaway clothes from a dumpster. It'd be like going from an $80,000 Mercedes-Benz to driving around in a banged-up car you get out of a junkyard. I'm not calling humanity junk, but I'm trying to draw a comparison of what Jesus gave up in glory to come here and be a human being. And we can't comprehend the price that he paid, but the Bible tells us why it was necessary. You know, I I read a lot, and I read different people out there in the culture who read the claims of Christianity or hear the claims of Christianity, and they say, you know what? Why did he have to do all this? I, I think Bill Maher. I don't listen to him or watch him. I read that he said it. Why all this? This is, what do you call it, religulous? When he produced this terrible movie, he's making fun of, oh, sure, God gave his son to die a death like that, and why would he do that, and why would God go to those extremes, and why couldn't he just send an angel and just help us via an angel, or why couldn't he just decide to redeem us without having to go through the whole thing of Jesus giving his life? The Bible answers that. And I'm going to let Jesus answer it. It says in Hebrews 10, It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats really to take away sins. That is why Christ said, Now listen to this, quoting Christ, It says, As he came into the world, this is what he said. So Jesus is leaving heaven. He's coming to earth. He's going to be born in a virgin's womb. And he said something on the way. As he came into the world, he said, Oh God, the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy you. So you have made ready this body of mine for me to lay as a sacrifice upon your altar. Why? You were not satisfied with the animal sacrifices, slain and burnt before you as offerings for sin. Then verse 7 is quoting Jesus. Then I, Jesus, said, See, I have come to do your will, to lay down my life, just as the Scriptures said that I would. Woo. So as the incarnation was taking place, Jesus said, Jesus said, I've come to do your will, O God, to lay down my life, just as the Scriptures have said. That's why he had to come. Because the Bible says that the bulls and the goats and everything that was sacrificed in the Old Testament never took away one single sin. They covered it, but they didn't take it away. But the blood of Jesus takes your sin away. The blood of Jesus erases your sin. The blood of Jesus removes it forever. It doesn't just cover it. It eradicates it. It gets rid of it. It removes it. It's a better blood than the blood of bulls and goats. The Bible says that the bulls and goats and all those that were sacrificed in the Old Testament were only a shadow of the upright and honorable things to come because a sufficient sacrifice was needed that could identify with the one being sacrificed for and sinless so that it might make proper atonement. So God needed a sinless human being. And where would he find such a one? The Bible answers the question. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. So that according to Hebrews 2.9, he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. I read a story once. There was a father and his little eight-year-old daughter were driving down the highway. They're driving down the highway, springtime, windows are down, and they're enjoying the day. And all of a sudden... A bee flew in the window, big bumblebee. The little girl freaked out. Daddy, 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 he's going to sting me. He's going to sting me. No, sweetie, he'll fly right back out. Don't worry about him. But he didn't. He went back seat front, back seat front, back seat front. And the little girl was being terrorized by this bee. So finally, the next time the bee flew into the front seat, exasperated, the father reached out and grabbed it in his hand. And it stung him. He threw it out the window. He said, There, sweetie, he can't hurt you anymore. Now, listen. Here's what Jesus did on the cross He tasted death for every man. The Bible says that from the fall of Adam and Eve onward, the book of Hebrews tells us that men were terrified of death. Daddy, daddy, it's going to sting me. I'm afraid of it. I don't want to die. And it says, at the right time, God sent his son, Christmas. Sent his son. He grew up perfect life, sinless life. When he died on the cross, the Bible says, he tasted the sting of death for every man. He took the sting. It says he died. He died. Jesus died. And he took a perfect man, took the sting. Then you know what he says? There, sweetie, believe in me and he'll never hurt you again. That's what it is. That's what he did. He tasted death. He tasted death for every man. That's why the Bible says, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your stinger? So this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came and died for us. I want you to say with me, let's just wrap it up. I want you to say this with me so you don't forget. He emptied himself, he became a servant, he gave himself. I'm amazed at what God accomplished in the birth of Jesus Christ. God became one of us, felt our pain, witnessed our suffering, loved us unconditionally, and then died for us on the cross. The Bible says that, quote, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Wow. I don't know about you, but that puts a whole new meaning into Christmas for me. We are literally celebrating the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, No longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. And this is the wonderful message He has given us to tell others. You know, our goal at Life Talk is to aid in the spiritual growth of you, our listeners. That said, don't go anywhere, because in just a moment, our announcer is going to tell you about an exciting offer that will do just that, help you in your walk with the Lord. Now, here's our announcer. God Became a Man is the third message of Pastor Jeff's series, Our King Has Come. You can own a copy of this four-CD set for just $20 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, Our King Has Come, for only $30 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information.
1: Isn't it great when things are a little easier? Like connecting to LifeTalk Radio and Pastor Jeff on your mobile devices anywhere, anytime then here's great news. Now, Pastor Jeff, Life Talk Radio, and Turning Point Church are just a few clicks away with a new TPC Family app. With the new TPC Family app on your mobile phone or tablet, there are loads of helpful features to keep you connected in an easy and fun way. Watch Pastor Jeff streaming live on Sundays and Wednesdays from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Or watch on-demand videos from recent services you may have missed. Listen to LifeTalk radio programs on demand, today's broadcast, or catch up on any of the great teachings from Pastor Jeff on past Life Talk programs. You can even help continue Lifetalk Radio's outreach and impact on the nation with the gospel by giving securely online. Now you can even text your gift to Lifetalk and the amount you would like to give to 30131. And you'll find contact information and directions to Turning Point Church, upcoming events, broadcast station listings for Lifetalk Radio, and much, much more. Plus, the new TPC Family app is free and available on Apple or Android devices. To download the new TPC Family app, simply type in the keyword TPC Family as one word with no spaces in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and get connected. So what are you waiting for? Download the free TPC Family app today and make your life a little easier. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station.